Hey everyone, welcome to The Pursuit with James Griffin. Today we're talking about why we believe giving changes people and we are all in full-time ministry. Hey everyone, welcome to The Pursuit with James Griffin. My name is Mike Anthony and I am the discipleship pastor here at Cross Point City and I am here with our lead pastor, James Griffin. Last week, we unpacked the conviction statements we need each other and suffering people are worth fighting for. But this week, we're going to cover the next two, which are giving changes people, and we're all in full-time ministry. So let's jump right in. And James, let's talk about everybody's (laughs) favorite subject at church. Yes. Giving. Yeah. Right? Everybody (laughs) loves it to come on Giving Sunday, right? right. Uh, so let's let's kind of unpack this because I think we might maybe set some nerves kind of at ease as right. we get into this. Yes. Uh, so what do we mean mean when we say giving changes people? All right. So here's how we've written it. We believe our God is a generous God. He's a giver, not a taker, and the ultimate proof of this is found in Jesus. Since we're called to be imitators of God, we must be givers, not takers, so that His generous nature is seen in us. Therefore, we will be a people of sacrifice and generosity, believing that as we give, lives will be changed, both our lives as givers and the lives of those who receive. Yeah. So we were obviously joking before, like this is obviously not everybody's favorite yes. subject. Yes. Uh, but why do you think, so like when we, you know, and I think this has been, you know, I've experienced this my entire life in the church, right? It, it's always, people have always just gotten really antsy or nervous or anxious when, uh, you know, the pastor gets up and starts preaching about yes. money or giving. Why do you, why do you think that is? Uh, well, I think it's a great question because honestly, Jesus talked about money all the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, in fact, 16 out of 38 parables, Jesus talked about money. One in 10 verses in the gospels deal with money. Um, if you look at the Bible as a whole, there's 500 verses on prayer, 500 verses on faith, and about 2,000 verses on money. <laughs> And so I've joked in the past and I've said, if you really, if you really believe that Cross Point City Church should be a church that takes the Bible seriously, we kind of got to talk about this, right? (laughs) Because the Bible has a lot to say, but, but to your question, I I think the reason people get weird when we talk about money is twofold. Uh, Number one, and let's be honest, there are churches and pastors out there who do really shady things with money. Yeah, hundred percent. And so I know some of us have experienced that, you know, guys get up and work really hard to manipulate people into giving, promising that if they give, God will give things back to them that they want. And then all of a sudden those pastors take all the money that's given and do really, really shady, selfish stuff. Yeah. And I just want to say, if you have a problem with that, so do I. Yeah. Uh, We should all have problems with churches and pastors that handle money in that way. But secondly, I, I think people get weird when money comes up, and I would argue that more of us fall into this category than the former, uh, because personally, a lot of people are mastered by money in the place of God. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when you say mastered by money, like help us us understand what you mean by that. Okay, well, I'll I'll take us to Matthew six, where Jesus talks a lot about money in the Sermon on the Mount, and I'll, I'll read some verses, try to unpack some ideas, but, He says in verses 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. This last line is key for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Yeah. 
And so he's really clear in the text that you and I have a decision on where we store up treasure. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can store it up here on the earth or we can store it up in heaven. And it's really easy to know where your treasure is. Can it be eaten? Can it be stolen? (laughs) Can it rust and decay over time? Or, Or can it not? And so for those of us who would honestly confess, yeah, most of my treasure is stored up here on the earth. Jesus's solution is simply this, put your treasure where your heart's not. Yeah. Put your treasure where your heart's not, right? He says again in verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so the simple idea is wherever we put our money, that's where our heart is gonna go. Our our hearts follow our wallets, not the other way around. Um, this is why we can easily figure out what you love. I mean, right? If, if we just look at your bank account, we're gonna know where your heart is set yeah. because your heart follows that. And so I would say, and I've, I've said this regularly to our church, if you wanna love God's church more, yeah. if you wanna love God's kingdom more, then you need to put money into the pot. You need to give toward those things. I think one of my favorite memes is the, you know, the guy's getting baptized, right? But his arm is sticking up with his yeah. wallet <laughs> out of the water. <laughs> that's a great picture, bro. Yeah. Because honestly, for most people, that is the last, that's the last area of life that they surrender right. is the wallet. Yeah. You know, I've heard it said people will give God their feet. People will give God their hands, but they're slow to give God their wallets. Yeah which is so dangerous because again, the heart is directly connected to the wallet. If you wanna love the church more, if you wanna love a mission more, if you wanna love church planting more, at some point you have to give toward these things. Yeah. And I think the reason many people don't, again, is because they are mastered by money in the place of God. Now, Jesus goes on in the text in verses 22 and 23, and he addresses spiritual vision He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And so it's interesting. He he talks about the eye as the lamp of the body. And when you study the anatomy of the human eye, you find that to be true. Uh, The cornea actually functions like a window and it allows light to enter the body. So if your cornea is good and healthy, a lot of light's gonna get in. If the cornea is bad or unhealthy, not a lot of light is gonna get in. And and he's making the same point here spiritually. He, he uses the eye as a metaphor to teach this principle that your heart's location determines your spiritual vision. Yeah, Your heart's location determines your spiritual vision. In other words, if you are someone storing up your treasure here on the earth, That means your heart is set on the things of the earth. And as a result, your spiritual vision will be very, very unhealthy. Yeah, You're gonna live with a a short-sighted earthly perspective. You will not see the things of God clearly. Your kingdom will take precedence over his kingdom. And ultimately spiritual darkness will flood your life. On the other hand, if you're storing up treasure in heaven, then your heart is gonna be set on heavenly things, eternal things, and consequently your spiritual vision will be very, very healthy. Uh, You will clearly see what it means to live life for the kingdom of God, that it's more rewarding than living for your kingdom. Uh, You're gonna take notice that everything in the world is temporary, it is fleeting, cannot offer true joy and satisfaction. And so the light of Christ is gonna flood your light, uh, life and your life will ultimately give off his light to the world around you. And so this conversation is incredibly important. When we talk about money, yeah. we're really again talking about the heart 
And where your heart is set determines how you see all of life and how you see all of life. Well, that determines how you live in the world God made. Yeah. And so this is critically important. Yeah. Giving truly changes people. So there was a message that you preached uh, a few years ago on this subject. And you talked about the importance of understanding the difference between like ownership and stewardship. Yeah. How is, how is that helpful here? Yeah. Well, Jesus, I'll keep going back to the text, verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Uh, he's going to hate the one, love the other. He'll be devoted to one, despise the other. And then he says, you cannot serve God and money. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, we all have to realize that we have a master sitting on the throne of our heart. And according to what Christ says, it's not God or the devil, it's God or money. Right. Right? Yep. We're going to love one, hate the other. We're going to be devoted to one. We'll despise the other. And so truly one of these two things is ruling and reigning over us. And we all have to be honest enough to ask the question, which one is ruling and reigning over me? Yeah. And so this again brings us to the perspectives and the ideas of ownership and stewardship. Uh, people who live with an ownership perspective, they think truly that what's mine is mine, Yeah. so I'll keep it. Yeah. This is the mentality of an owner. What's mine yeah. is mine, so I will keep it. Doesn't uh, really work in a marriage either. It, oh my gosh. <laughs> Super quick way to blow that thing yeah. up, right? <laughs> but, but owners truly believe, okay, I worked hard for my money. I spent years saving up my money. You know, someone gave me the money, whatever. It's my money. Don't ask me to share it. Don't ask me to give it. I'm keeping it. Yeah. And so it's really easy to spot an owner because they hoard their money. Mm -hmm. They're not generous with it. Um, they use it on them and them alone. Uh, some owners even go into massive amounts of debt buying stuff they don't need to impress people they don't even know or like. And, and they're still not owners. Right. It's kind of comical. <laughs> and, and the big truth that owners miss is this, that God is the owner ultimately. Yeah. God owns everything. We don't own anything. Mm -hmm. We own absolutely nothing. And there are many scriptures that we could point to that, that teach that, but it's all his at the end of the day. And the only reason we have anything is because God who owns all things has given us a portion of his stuff to really manage for his glory and the good of the world. Yeah. And that's the stewardship perspective. Uh, stewards are people who understand that what's mine is his, mm -hmm. so I'll share it. Yeah, Nothing belongs to me. <laughs> God gave it to me. It all belongs to him. What's mine is his. I'll share it. Uh, I love this quote from Randy Alcorn in The Treasure Principle. He says, a steward manages assets for the owner's benefit. The steward carries no sense of entitlement to the assets he manages. It's his job to find out what the owner wants done with his assets and then carry out his will. And so this is what stewards do. They, they don't do whatever they want to do with their money yeah, uh, because they understand, again, their money's not their money. They're just managers of someone else's stuff. Yeah. And so the steward goes to God, figures out what God wants, and then they manage it according to his wishes. And I love it. Scripture's very clear. God is very, very clear on exactly what he wants us to do with his money. Yeah. All right. So in light of all that, then, you know, when, when we're looking at handling the money that has been entrusted to us in a biblical way, what do we do with the money that's been entrusted to us? Yeah. Well, I believe the owner's wishes are very simple. We give, we save, we live off the rest. Yeah. It really is that easy. We give, we save, we live off the rest. And so we start by giving a portion of what God has given us back to him. 
Uh, we give it to his church. We give it to his kingdom. And people always want to know, well, how much am I supposed to give? Yeah. And my answer is always generously. Yes. Right? Yeah. Generously. So not the 10%. I, if, you know what? If that's generous <laughs> for you, go for it, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think we're all honest enough or, or smart enough, excuse me, to, to know whether or not we're giving generously. Sure. Yeah. I think for some people, 10% is generous. And then I think for other people, they could probably do way more than that. Yeah. Um, 10%, they don't even feel 10% missing from the bank account. Right. Uh, and again, what we see in the New Testament, the prescription for giving is give generously. And when we do that, we declare two things. Number one, our love for God. Uh, in John 14, 15, we read that, that the way we express love for God is by following his commands and giving is something that obviously God has commanded us to do. And then secondly, we declare our trust in God. Yeah. That by putting our resources back into his hands, that we are trusting him to provide for us, to take care of us. And so we're prioritizing his kingdom and then letting him take care of ours. Yeah. So I think that's a, a big question to ask. Does our giving really declare our love and trust in, in God, right? That's yeah. a way to know if you're giving generously. So that's where we start. Secondly, we save. We save. The Bible actually has a lot to say about saving and building wealth. Proverbs 20, 21 says that in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. Yeah. And so according to what God says, wise people save mm -hmm. is one of the reasons why at Crosspoint, we have a reserve account. Um, we set aside money so that, you know, in the event that we go through a bad season or maybe God even puts a supernatural opportunity in front of us, that we have what we need yeah. to take advantage of those. And so I would encourage you personally too, to save, to have money set aside. And if you're wondering how much, again, how much do I give, James? How much do I save? I think 10% would be a great goal. Maybe you can't get there just yet, but I would say set aside something, um, set a, a reasonable goal for yourself now and just work to increase that year after year. And then finally, live off the rest. So after you give, after you save, then you, lived off, then you live off the leftovers. You know, I think the mistake a lot of people make is they give the leftovers or they save the leftovers. Yeah. They live off the first instead of the rest. Yep. And so that's why they're not being generous. They're not saving for the future because a lot of times the leftovers are scarce. Yeah. And uh, God knows this, which is why he flips the script on us. Mm -hmm. uh, his command is give to me first, then save some for you. And with whatever you have left, well, you can live off that. And so that means that we all have to decide before we give and before we save what we can truly live off of. Yeah. Like there's gotta be a, a line somewhere. Mm -hmm. We've gotta stop somewhere. And so I, I think we all need to be honest with ourselves about where that line is. So give, save, live off the rest. All right, so let's jump into the next conviction statement. Yep. All right, so the next one we're talking about today is we are all in full-time ministry. Yes. What do we mean by that? Yep, well, let me read it. Here we go. We believe our God is ascending God. He sent his son to save us and his spirit to empower us. And he now sends us into the world to carry out his mission. This means the work of full-time ministry is not reserved for a few paid professionals, but for every follower of Jesus. We've all been given the responsibility of doing priestly work, acting and speaking on God's behalf. Therefore, we will live as sent people going and naming Jesus in dark places where he's desperately needed. 
All right, so there are, there's lots of passages of scripture yeah. that really help us understand this, but yeah. I thought it would be helpful to focus on uh, a passage in First Peter. So chapter yeah. two, verse nine. Yep. Uh, I'm gonna read it real quick, okay. and then maybe you can kind of help us unpack what this means. Okay. So First Peter 2, nine says, uh, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Yeah. So Peter's writing to these Jewish and Gentile believers that were facing persecution right. you know, to remind them of their purpose. That's he, right. He identifies the chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, uh, and a people for his own possession. So right. help us kind of unpack these and understand what that means. Yeah, I think that's a, a great question. And you know, a lot of this language comes out of Exodus 19 where God said many of these same things about the nation of Israel. Peter obviously is applying this language to the church. And first, when he talks about a chosen race, he's making the point that just like God chose the nation of Israel out of all the nations on earth, that he chose us. Yeah. Out of all the people on earth, God chose us to be a part of his church. He chose us, if we know Christ, to be sons and daughters in his family, which I know raises a big question in the minds of some people okay, James, are you saying God chooses us? <laughs> um, do we not choose him? You know, there's the old Calvinism, yep. Arminianism debate, and we don't have time to unpack all of that <laughs> in a podcast like this. Yeah, I, I will just make the point, you cannot choose God unless God chooses you. Yeah, so I had uh, uh, bro, yeah. bro T, I told you about bro yes, T the other you did. day. You know, every time he got asked the question, did we choose him or did he choose us? He said, yes. Yes, that is how I would answer the question. Yep. Uh, we are unchangeably bad apart from the grace of God. So God has to initiate. Yeah. We are spiritually dead in bondage to sin. Nothing we can do on our own to choose him. Uh, he has to go first. He has to convict. He has to open our eyes to see the beauty of Christ. We can't choose him unless he chooses us. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus says in John six forty four, no one can come unless God draws him. But after God draws him, it's our responsibility to exercise faith and to trust Christ as our savior and Lord. And so back to bro T, <laughs> does God choose us? Yep. Are we responsible for choosing him? Yep. Yep. How does all that work together? I don't know. <laughs> uh, and we can debate that, but the truth is no one knows where the sovereignty of God and human responsibility begins and end. There is some mystery in all of that. Yeah. What we can know is what Peter says, as Christians, we are a chosen people. Yes. And if we really believe that we're a chosen people, that should make us the most humble, grateful people on the planet. Yeah. Next, he says, we're a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. So in the same way he called Israel to be a priestly people, the church is called to be a priestly people. Mm -hmm. And so that means practically, if you know Jesus, you're a priest. Yeah. You're a priest. <laughs> uh, and I know what some people are thinking. I'm, I'm not a priest. I'm yeah. a stay-at-home mom. I'm a teacher. <laughs> yeah. I sell insurance. I'm in construction. I'm a student. And I would say back to you, that might be your profession, but it isn't your purpose. Right. Right? Yep. The profession is different than the purpose. Uh, there's a Christian doctrine called the priesthood of believers, and it surfaced in a powerful way during the Protestant Reformation. At the time, the Catholic Church had created this huge divide between clergy and laity. Mm -hmm. And so they elevated the priests. These were the very important spiritual people who had this special, unique relationship with God. And then, you know, you had all of us, Mike, just the, the normal, people. yeah, the normal people. <laughs> 
And guys like Martin Luther and John Calvin spoke up and said, this isn't right. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't find any divide like this in the scriptures. And in fact, every Christian holds the office of priest because of Jesus. So again, priesthood of all believers. Unfortunately, the church over time has gravitated back toward that divide. Yeah. yeah. And there's this assumption in the minds of many that people like us who are called to full-time ministry are the special people <laughs> who have a unique relationship with God. And then there's everybody else. And yeah. so a lot of times guys who do what we do are treated like we're different yeah. when we're not. Like God has obviously put us in a position of spiritual authority, um, but people have the same access to God as we do. You're the official prayer. That's right. <laughs> Every time a family gets together, whatever. That's oh, right. James is a pastor. De- He's going to pray. The designated prayer. Yeah. I love. There's a lot of truth in that, <laughs> honestly. So, but people have the same access to God as us, Mike. Um, anybody can approach God yep. the way we approach God and talk to Him. Uh, you're a priest, but it also means that we all have the same responsibility to minister on the behalf of God. Yeah. That's not just something that the paid professionals do, right? Uh, all of you listeners, God calls you to speak and act on his behalf. Mm-hmm. Our ministries might look different. Our mission fields look different. You know, I spent a lot of time in the building preaching and counseling and doing meetings and leading the staff team. And there you are in your office building, in the school, on the job site, in the sales meeting, wherever it might be, but we still have the same purpose. We are all priests in the kingdom of God. Yeah. Uh, next, he says that we're a holy nation a holy nation. And that word holy means set apart. And so in the same way that God set Israel apart from all the nations of the world, he has set us apart all for the purpose of displaying his kingdom and his character, which means that we have a responsibility to live differently from the world around us. Yeah, uh, We cannot buy the lie that certain churches and Christians have bought that to reach the world, we have to be like the world. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't reach the world by being like the world. Right. If we want to reach the world, we have to be different from the world. I mean, Jesus in Matthew 5, 13 says that we are salt and we are light. And so we are here to light up the darkness. We are here to slow down the decay brought on by sin. We can't do those things if we look like the darkness. Yeah. And we can't do those things if we lose our saltiness. And so we have to live lives that are are different, that are set apart. Christ is the benchmark. Yeah. Like if you're wondering, well, what does it mean to be different? Christ-likeness. Yeah. That's what it means. If you want to know what it looks like to be different, read the Gospels, look at how Jesus lived, how he operated, how he functioned. The goal is to be like him. And the way that happens is by daily surrendering our lives to the Holy Spirit of God Mm -hmm. so that he can go to work in us and make us more like Jesus who has saved us. And we do that so, again, the world sees him in and through our lives. And so we have to take holiness seriously. And then finally, Peter says that we are a people for God's possession, a people for God's possession. So in the same way that God took hold of Israel, uh, God has taken hold of us. He declared them to be his people. He's declared us to be his people. Uh, I love what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Yeah. So he's simply reminding us here, our bodies don't belong to us. Our lives don't belong to us. We have been bought with a price, the very blood of Jesus Christ. And in addition, God has sent his spirit to live inside of us. 
I mean, this is amazing. If you think about this, yeah. this the, the presence of God used to exist in the temple in the city of Jerusalem. Now the very presence of God is in us. Right. The Holy Spirit dwells in us and he empowers us to do what God has put us here to do. God has taken possession of us in that way, which means we don't get to do whatever we want. <laughs> uh, we, yeah, we, we changes can't, things. It does, it changes yeah. things immensely. We can't live our lives however we wanna live our lives because our lives don't belong to us, they belong to God. He's mm -hmm. taken possession of us as his people. All right, so then in light of all that, yep. so we're all in full-time ministry, Yes. Yo, what like what should we be doing? Like how does that play out like day to day? Yeah. All right, here's the simple answer that I'll give. Priestly people proclaim the praises of God. Yeah. This is what Peter says in the text. People uh priestly people proclaim the praises of God. And we do this why? Because God has brought us out of death and into life. Right. Right, if you know Christ, this is your full-time ministry. God saved you and then he sent you into the world to live a life of praise unto him. And if you wanna live a life of praise unto him, this means that you honor him, you make much of him, you live a life that puts him on display. And so wherever you go and in all things that you do with whomever you're interacting with, this means that you speak and act and behave in such a way that people see the very glory and character of God in you. And we do this ultimately all in hopes that more people who are far from God come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's good. I feel like that's a pretty good place to wrap it up for this week. Agreed. Um, next week, we're gonna tackle our final conviction statement. So next week, we're getting to the last one. I'll tell you what it is next week. Uh, and also we're gonna quiz Pastor James uh -oh. and make sure he knows them all still. Oh. So we've been talking about them for a few weeks. I'll study, I'll study. Uh, yeah, so study up. We're gonna make sure you can remember them all. <laughs> uh, but until then, know that, uh, know that we love you, we're here for you, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>